going to continue with the series Life in the Spirit. This is week five, and as, as Pastor Nathan has been walking us through this, God has definitely put a word on my heart and something that he's been dealing with me personally, and I am excited to share it with you guys, and I hope it edifies you guys as much as it has me. And we're going to go right back to, if you guys have been here for the series, the, the first week we started in Galatians 5. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn to Galatians 5, whether you're, if you're following along on your phone, if you're following along in the handout, good luck either way, because I'm going to be all over the place. Matt's on the slide, so good luck to him. So this is going to be a lot of fun. So we're going to start there, and we're going to end up bouncing around. Um, and what I'm going to title this message is Walk by the Spirit. So the series is Life in the Spirit, and this one's going to be called Walk by the Spirit. So we're going to be in Galatians 5. And we're going to be starting in verse 16, and we're going to kind of jump around a little bit. So first thing I want to do is we're going to read through that. So this is Paul speaking to the church in Galatia, and he says, So I say, walk by the Spirit. Turn to your neighbor and say, take a walk. So, now that you're enemies with your neighbor. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. And if we skip down just a little bit farther, we go to verse 25. It's continuing on the same thought. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Turn to your other neighbor and say, step it up. So what I see here is in order for us to have life in the spirit, we've got to keep in step with him. and We've got to walk by him. In order for us to be filled with the spirit and have the power of the spirit, we've got to walk by the spirit. We've got to stay in step with him. And so I think it's really, really important to us to be able to know and to define what that means. What does walking with the Spirit mean? What does walking by the Spirit mean? What, how do I keep in step with the Spirit? And so the first thing I want to do is just kind of go through and define those things. So walk, if we look at the, the, the Greek or the Hebrew definitions of walk, it means to live, to regulate one's life, to conduct oneself, to pass one's life, or to be occupied with. And then if we go right down and look at what keep in, step with, keep in step with means, it means to be in line with, to stand beside, to hold to, to agree with, and to follow. And so what I get from all those definitions, I think what walking by the Spirit, what it means for us practically, so what walking by the Spirit, what it requires of me is two things, and it's what I want to talk about all about today this morning. It's two things. It requires a pursuit from us and it's a pace from us. Okay, if I think of walking, oh, that's, that's their walk of life. How's your walk going? That is their pursuit. What are they doing in life? But then also I think of walking as a pace. I can walk, I can jog, I can run, I can sprint, or we can walk. So it's a pace, it's a literal tempo. And so I want to go through those two things today. And what often happens, so if we just read right back in Galatians 5, the spirit, the spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. And I think the flesh and the world is trying to put a pursuit on us that we were never meant to pursue. And it leads to death and it leads to destruction. And I think it's putting a pace on us that's not sustainable. The world and the flesh is trying to pull us in directions we were never meant to go. And so I want to first start on pursuit. So we're going to dive into pursuit first. So if you're on your notes, we're leading off with pursuit. And I want to jump now to the book of Isaiah. So we're going to hop to the Old Testament. And I want to give just a little bit of context and we're going to read. We're going to be in Isaiah um, chapter 2 first. And what we see here, so Isaiah is a prophet and the Lord is speaking through Isaiah to Israel. Okay, and if you know any history, if you've been familiar at all with the Old Testament or the relationship of Israel with God, you know it's a little bit rocky. There's a little bit of a roller coaster. And what we see is Israel chosen by God, the chosen people that are on top of the world. They're chosen, they're serving, they're loving. Them and God are close, and then they get a little bit comfortable, and they start to follow the wrong things. They follow the wrong people. They follow themselves, and they start to hit rock bottom. And they say, uh-oh, 
we got to get back. Let's go back to God. Let's turn back to him. Let's mend that relationship. God receives them back, and it's just this roller coaster throughout the Old Testament. And this story is going to be no different. And so I want to hop off here in Isaiah. And what he is telling them, and, and where we're kicking off, is Israel, God has delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. They were under bondage and oppression in Egypt, and God has delivered them from that. They've walked through the desert for 40 years, led by God. They were walking with God. They were dependent on God. Every single day of their lives, their lives literally depended on God providing for them. God provided fruit, food from the sky. Manna from the sky fell down. He provided water from a rock. He provided guidance through the sky. During the day it was a cloud, at night it was a pillar of fire. God literally guided every single one of their steps. And there was a little rough patches throughout that, the, the, the 40 years. But all in all, the Israelites were dependent on God and the relationship with God to sustain them and to bring them into prosperity. And then so God brings them to this land. And it's important here in a little bit. He brings them to the rivers of Shiloah. That's not important now, but it will be in a second. And it's barely a river. If you see a picture of it, it's basically like a canal. It's very humble. They call it the gently flowing waters of Shiloah. And now God is providing a life for them. They're able to start lives and, and homes and families, and they're kind of planted and rooted, and they're flourishing. They're still spending their life with God, but then again, they start to get comfortable. And they start to pursue their own desires. They start to let the world creep in and their flesh creep in and it pulls them away. And so the first question I want to ask ourselves this morning is what am I pursuing? What is my pursuit? And when we look in the Old Testament, we look at Israel, I think it's like we're looking at a mirror because those same things are extremely applicable to us today. So I'm going to read in Isaiah chapter 2. And this is exactly what the Israelites were pursuing and it's what happened and what first went wrong. Their land is full of silver and gold. There's no end to their treasures. Their land is full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. Their land is full of idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. And that might not seem applicable, but I think if we dissect that a little bit, the land is full of silver and gold. There is no end to their treasures. I think for us, that's money. Whether I have a lot in my bank account and I'm trying to always get more, or I'm at broke and I'm at zero and my main goal in every single pursuit of every single day is to get the dollar and to get some money because I know it's what makes the world go around and that's what I want is cash and riches and wealth. Or I can go farther down. The land is full of horses. There's no end to their chariots. Maybe you have horses. There's a lot of country folk in here, but maybe not. I think the horses represent things. I'm trying to get as much things as I can, tangibly, whether it's the cars, the boats, the houses, the jewelry, the technology, whatever it is. And there's nothing inherently wrong with those. But when that is my pursuit, and that is the way I see success, and that is what I put my value in, I think that's where we get into some trouble. And then the last thing, they bow down to the work of their hands, to what their fingers have made. Is my identity in my job, in my vocation, in my work? Do I find my value in the things that I can do under my own power or what my job title says? Do I live to work? And so I think we can see ourselves in this story and I think we can often find ourselves, myself, I'm just as guilty as anybody else, I'm preaching to myself this morning, of trying to find my pursuit and my value in the world and what my flesh is telling me to go after. And just last week, so Pastor Nathan preaching, preached about selfish ambition a little bit. He, he referenced James 3. And all of this, what the flesh in the world is trying to pull us to is exactly that. And it's selfish ambition. It's selfishness. And in James 3 it says, If you harbor selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and don't deny the truth. Because such wisdom does not come from heaven. It is earthly. It is unspiritual and it's demonic. And so when I allow myself, just like Israel, to put my value in those things, my pursuit is no longer aligned with the Lord. I cannot walk by the Spirit if I'm trying to walk by myself. 
And what happened to Israel is they stopped letting God tell them that their worth was in him. Because we find our worth in God and God alone. He tells us our value. He is our affirmation. Because the world can't fill that void. My flesh can't fill that void, no matter how loud it may be. It's not going to be what sustains us and what fulfills us. And in 2 Kings chapter 17, it paints another picture of Israel. They followed worthless idols and themselves became worthless. They imitated the nations around them, although the Lord had ordered them. Do not do as they do. If that is not applicable to today, just because it's popular does not mean it's right. And I think a lot of times we look into the world, we look at the other nations, I look at my neighbor, I compare myself on social media, I compare myself to what I see other people doing and what the world is telling me, and just because it's popular, I say, well, that must, that must be what I should do. But God's not saying that. God's kingdom is contrary, the spirit is contrary to the flesh. It's opposite. It's not asking the same things of us. Romans 12.2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so we go a little bit farther into Isaiah chapter 8. And here enters the Assyrian Empire. So they're the, the new kid on the block, the new bully that's taken over all the countries around him. And Israel is no longer following God. They know about him, but they're not following. They don't have a relationship with him anymore. They're pursuing their own desires and the Assyrian Empire comes, and they start to feel threatened. Israel's scared, saying, oh, we're going to be next. We've got to do something, guys. And so if we're not relying on God anymore, we're going to rely on ourselves. And I'm going to rely on my own logic and what I think is best and my own strength. And so they, they devise a plan. So we see the Assyrian Empire is represented by the river of the Euphrates. So we talked about Israel on the river of Shiloah. It's small. It's gentle. It's adequate. It's peaceful. And then we see the Assyrian Empire. It's on the Euphrates River. It's the main river in that area. And it's loud and it's chaotic. The floodwaters. And so they're saying, you know what? If I can't beat them, I might as well join them. And so they look at the Assyrian Empire and say, let's just make allies with them. They're the greatest thing in the world. If we can just be friends with them, if we can achieve that, we're going to be good. We're going to be set. We're going to have everything we need. We're going to be comfortable. We're going to be secure. We're going to be fulfilled. We're going to have all the riches. We're going to have anything that we want because nobody can touch us if we can just hang out with Big Brother Assyrian Empire. And so they go after that. And so here we pick up in Isaiah 8. It says, the Lord spoke to me again. This is Isaiah speaking to the Israelites. Because this people has rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, and rejoices over Rezin, the son of Ramalia. Therefore, the Lord is about to bring against them the mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates, the king of Assyria, with all his pomp. It will overflow all its channels. It will run over all its banks. It will sweep on into Judah, swirling over it, passing through it, and reaching up to the neck. Its outspread wings will cover the breadth of your land, Emmanuel. And so the end of the story is, Israel thinks they do a fantastic job of, of hanging out with the Assyrian Empire and making an ally. But when we continue to read, we see that the Assyrian Empire completely destroyed them. You see, Israel climbed the mountain of the world and what their flesh was telling them. That's a great idea. Logically, it makes sense. If I can make friends with the biggest, baddest dude, I'm safe. And they achieved that. And once they grabbed it, they realized that that void that they had, that fear that they had, it wasn't filled by them. It was the opposite. And we see that the world and our flesh promises so much to us, but it provides so little. The world and our flesh is going to take us farther than we ever wanted to go. It's going to keep us longer than we ever wanted to stay. And it's going to leave us empty every single time. Just like the Assyrian Empire did to the Israelites. But God is still waiting with open arms for him. And so what we see is our flesh is telling us to run after these tangible things that I can hold and I can see for success. And I can think that I'm going to have security in those things. And then when I get it, I realize that it was empty. There was nothing in it. And what my flesh wants to do, what the world wants to do, and what Satan wants to do is distract us. 
our entire life, and he is perfectly pleased with us chasing after these things in the world and getting them because he knows we're going to find emptiness. And so we jump to the next thing. Oh, well, well if I get that, then I'll be happy. Or if I can, if I can achieve that, or if I can have that title, then I'll be happy. And Israel is showing us through the Assyrian Empire, that's not true. We're going to be empty every single time because we were made, we were built, we were created to be in relationship with God. You see, C.S. Lewis says, quoting C.S. Lewis, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We're too easily pleased by just the things our eyes can see, what our lips can taste, what our ears can hear. God wants so much more for us. And so the question is, okay, well, those are all the things that we shouldn't do, that we probably are. So what does God want from me? What does God want me to pursue? What should my walk look like throughout my life? And the first and most important thing that we can wrap our minds around and that we can pursue is a relationship with Him. Okay, because what we see, like we talked about, Israel... When they were in the desert, they had that relationship with him. They were walking with him. They were dependent on him for every meal, to quench their thirst, to guide their next step in the darkness. They literally needed him to survive. But when they got comfortable and they started pursuing their own desires and the flesh and the world, they kept their knowledge about God, but they left their walk with him. They walked away from the relationship, and there's a difference. I can know all I want about God, but if I don't have a relationship with Him, I'm in trouble. Because that turns into, it turns into ritual, it turns into religion, and it turns into legalism. And that is who Jesus came to correct. And so what we see is the Israelites could literally recite the entire Torah by memory. I have to look at my notes just to remember what the Torah is. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's the first five books of the Bible. I fall asleep just reading Leviticus. They can literally recite it off the top of their head, all five books. You cannot tell me they didn't know about God. They knew so much about God. They were still holding religious assemblies like this. They were still making sacrifices to God. They were still trying to uphold the law, but follow their own desires. And we see in Isaiah, the first chapter, the Lord is painting a clear picture that that is not what he's, that's not what he's asking from us. So this is God talking to the Israelites. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbath, convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate them with all my being. That's a strong word. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. God is saying there's nothing inherently wrong with these rituals, but when they're empty and they're just for show and they're eyewash and it, there's no relationship, then they don't mean anything. See, Israel had this pseudo type of righteousness where they thought because I know enough about God, then he's going to bless me. And I can, I can really do whatever I want. And I think oftentimes I'll fall in the exact same boat to where I'll go down the list and check the boxes of Christianity and saying, yeah, I, I can recite John 
I went to church on Sunday. I tell people I believe in God. But then I pursue whatever I want. And I think that's a dangerous place to be. Because I think that I can lead and blaze my own path and go after what I want and what I think is best. And I'm just hoping God and the Spirit just kind of throw some blessings at me. And I'm just using Him as almost like, like a good luck charm. And that's not what God's asking for us. And there's not sustainability in that. And that's not the pursuit. And I can't, that is not walking with the Spirit. That's not keeping in step with Him. That is me walking and asking God to keep in step with me. There's a difference. And so the point here is I cannot let my knowledge about God replace my relationship with Him. And I don't say that because I think that we shouldn't know a lot about God. I think that we should fall in love with the Scriptures and dive deep into who God is and His character and the beautiful mysteries of Him. But I can't let that replace my relationship. It needs to facilitate it. Because without that, just like Israel, we start to lose our dependence on God. We start to forget His goodness. We forget the bondage and the slavery that He led us out of. And we start to get comfortable. And we start to walk on our own. And so I think the, first, the next question is, well, how do I have a relationship with somebody that I can't even see? Because it's not the same as what we would think. But I think the first step in having a relationship with God and being able to walk in the power of His Spirit, is I got to remember His faithfulness. I got to remember His goodness. I have to remember His presence right now. Because He is here. His Spirit is here. And when I start to remember these things, it helps me drown out the noise of the world because the world and my flesh are going to continue to throw things at me saying, you need this, you need that. This will make you happy. This will make you fulfilled. This will bring you peace. But when I can remember how good God is, I say, I don't need those things. I am, I am happy. I am at peace. I do have purpose. I don't, I don't need that from the world. You, you have nothing to offer me. I'm content. And in another book called Micah, so it's another prophet still talking to Israel. They needed a lot of people to talk to him because they had some problems. God is talking through Micah again to Israel. And here God is pleading to the Israelites to not forget, to not fall away, to remember the things that he did for them. So this is God saying, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt. And redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you. Also Aaron and Miriam. My people remember what Balak king of Moab plotted. And what Balaam son of Boar answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal. That you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. And so they respond to God saying. Well, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And we know from Isaiah that is not what God is looking for. And so he answers. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think that we, when we can consciously remember and meditate on God's goodness and the things that He's delivered us from and the promises that we know to be true, our life turns to acting justly, loving mercy, and walking humbly with our God. And having a relationship with Him and pursuing those things is no different than the relationships we have on earth. I have to talk to God through prayer. I've got to pray to Him. I have to listen to Him through reading Scripture and applying it to my life. And I've got to respect Him, revere Him as King of the universe. 
through my worship and through honoring Him with my words and my deeds. Because if I were to come to one of you and say, probably going to avoid talking to you. And if you talk to me, I'm probably going to ignore you. And then I disrespect you with my words and my actions in front of you and behind your back. But then I go to somebody else and say, oh yeah, that, that's my homie, that's my boy, we're best friends. No, you're not. And it's no different with God. So if I'm not talking to him, if I'm not listening to him, and I'm not respecting him, I can't have a relationship with him. And I think a lot of those things fall away. And Pastor Nathan in week two of this series, he talked about the personality of the Spirit. And how the Spirit is a him, it is a person, it is real. This relationship is not some mystical, ghostly, no, it's real. The Spirit inside of us comforts us, He consoles us, He speaks to us, and He teaches us. That is who we are having a relationship with. And when I start to pursue those things, and I start to hear from Him, I start to embody the characteristics of Christ and the power that we all have access to through the Spirit. And maybe it's just me, but a lot of times I feel, well, that would be great if I heard from the Spirit. That would be great if I heard from God. But, you know, He's not, he's not talking to me. He's not, he's not speaking. I think that a lot of times that God is silent. He's distant. He's busy. But I know that's not true. I can look at the text. I can look at the Scriptures. And I think, well, you know, maybe God's just like a biblical God. And He did a lot of cool things in here. And he spoke to a lot of people in here. But that was in the past. Or maybe I see him as like a future God. He's a revelation God. And I believe he's going to come back one day and save us. But that's in the future. And I kind of put him at these bookends. But I don't see him in my present. I don't see him now. But we know that is not true. Because God speaks to us through the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us. God can speak to every single one of us through the Holy Spirit. So when I'm walking by the Spirit and I'm in step with Him, I can hear Him speaking to me. Maybe not audibly, but the Spirit works inside of us in incredible ways. And oftentimes we don't hear when He's speaking because the world in my flesh is louder. It's more demanding. It's urgent. And it's trying to grasp my attention. And I can't hear somebody that I'm not close to. I can't hear the Spirit if I'm not walking with Him. But if I'm walking with the world and walking in my flesh, I can hear them loud and clear. And so we see God's voice is a whisper. He's not forcing Himself on us. He's just knocking at the door. He's there for us. And there's a perfect example in 1 Kings chapter 19 through Elijah. So the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. Here we go again. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The Lord's about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. And he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah. So what we see is God is not hiding from us. He's waiting for us. It is an open invitation every single day. He's not hiding. He's waiting. And he's waiting for our efforts of intentionality. And I think now we're transitioning. I think this is where pace comes into play and practice. Because if we can be like Elijah and intentionally set our minds on waiting on the Lord and we are available to hear from him, 
think God reveals himself. See, Elijah hiked 40 days to get up onto that mountain. And I'm not saying we got to do that, but I think it's the effort of intentionally going to hear from God and to be available to hear from God is why he revealed himself. It was the obedience. And I can't be obedient if I'm not available. I can't hear from God. I can't love and I can't walk in his power if I'm not available. And I'm not available when I'm rushing around all day, every day. I'm busy. I'm trying to pack my schedule. I'm trying to do more. I'm trying to be more. I'm trying to get more. And I always have this urge or this anxiousness that the world and the flesh is telling me, well, they're doing it, so you better do it. They have more, so you better get more. This is going to make you happy because the world says so, and so I go after that. We don't, we're, not, we're not building any margin in to even allow ourselves to hear God. And we know that the flesh in the world desires what is contrary to the flesh. And so if I can identify what the flesh wants, I do the opposite. See, the flesh tells me that busyness equals an impactful life. The flesh tells me that success equals more money, more things, more likes, more follows, more fill in the blank. Things that are tangible and temporary here on earth. But we know, and thank God we know, that he does not equate success with those things. Because the scripture says, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You see, my flesh tells me that pursuing the chaotic, mighty floodwaters of the Euphrates and running after and getting lost in the rat race of this life to try and get more things, to get more money, and to follow whatever my flesh tells me to do, that that is better than walking along the humbly, gently flowing waters of Shiloh, where God's presence is, and loving people with Him. The world's trying to pressure me into, into the mighty flow waters of the Euphrates, telling me to do more, but God's saying, no, I'm right here. This peaceful, gentle, easy life. I'm here with you. But there's so much hope and joy in knowing that God's not asking that of us. We see in Jesus' life, he demonstrated perfectly what a pursuit and a pace looks like. So we look to him as the model. And just a few examples from his life. First one, the woman in Samaria in John 4. So Jesus and his disciples were on their way to Samaria, or sorry, on their way to Jerusalem, and Jesus said, hey guys, we, we got to make a stop in Samaria first. Um, there's, something, there's somebody I need to see. And his disciples are saying, no, we don't. Um, we don't associate with those people. Um, they're dirty. They're unclean. Uh, we, we don't jive. And also my Google Maps says that we do not have to do that. We can easily go around it. And Jesus says, no, we're going to go through Samaria. But the disciples are urgent. They're like, we got to get to Jerusalem, Jesus. But they listen to him, and they go through Samaria. And if you know about the story of the woman at the well, Jesus tells his disciples to go into the town and get some food. And Jesus meets this woman at the well. And this woman is outcasted and ostracized by her community, saying that she will never be enough, she's never been enough, she's not loved, she's not worthy, she's failed too many times. And Jesus makes this stop for her. And he goes and he loves on her. He doesn't condemn her. He tells her who she is. And he gives her living water. He gives her sustaining water. And he changes her life. One life is who he went to Samaria for. But her life changed the entire town. Next example is Martha and Mary. So in Luke 10, Jesus is walking, and Martha and Mary, two women, uh, invite Jesus into their home for dinner. So Jesus goes in, and what we find is two opposites. Martha is running around the house trying to get things in order, trying to prepare for things, trying to rush around and go through the to-do checkmark list. And she's rushing, 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 and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. And they're just talking. She's just listening. They're just hanging out, having a good time. And Martha walks up to Jesus and is like, yo, Jesus, can you tell Mary to help? She's not doing anything. And Jesus says, Martha, 
You see so many things as important, but only one is. And Mary has chosen it. And so we can learn from the example that Mary showed us there. That spending time with Jesus, a moment in God's presence, is better than an, an eternity of trying to get worldly gain. One of my favorite stories in the entire Bible, John 13, Jesus washing his disciples' feet. This is a Passover meal. Jesus is literally about to die the next day. Imagine if you knew the day that you were going to die, and you're about 24 hours out. Think about what you'd be doing. Jesus is having dinner with his 12 closest friends, and he decides to one more time give them an example of what love looks like. So in the middle of the meal, he humbles himself to the lowest position you could ever humble yourself. And he washes every single one of his disciples' feet, including the man that would betray him. He spent time washing his disciples' feet, serving them humbly in love, and showing them what that looked like. And he says, I want you guys to do the same thing. Jesus spent his last few hours on earth humbling himself to serve and to hang out with his friends. And lastly, in the first chapter of Mark, Jesus shows us, so he wakes up early in the morning before the sun even rises. He goes up onto a mountain and he spends time with his father. And he prays to his father. And he spends enough time there that when the disciples wake up, they're like, where the heck is Jesus? We're supposed to be going. We got a lot on the agenda today. His ministry is rolling, and they're like, where's you? Have you seen Jesus? No. Have you seen? We lost Jesus. And then Jesus comes back. They're like, Jesus, we're, we're, we got to go. But we find is Jesus never let the urgency of the world take him away from quality time with his Father and loving on others. And we can learn from that example. Jesus took his time loving on people, listening to their needs, and filling them in the best way possible with power. And if we were to look at Jesus' calendar and his schedule and his agenda, we probably wouldn't think he'd be able to change the world. But Jesus was the master at doing less better and with power. And a lot of times I think we find ourselves worrying so much about tomorrow, worrying so much about our future and missing something and making sure that I can just hurry up and make plans and get things ready for my future and tomorrow that I rush around and I'm so fearful that I miss what God has for me right now and today and in this moment. And I run past the Spirit. I get out of step with the Spirit because my flesh tells me you better hurry up and you better get there because tomorrow's waiting for you you got to punch the time clock because the rest of your peers are doing that. And Jesus is saying, no. You don't need to do that. You have no power up there. You have power here with me. And so I want to quote a book. There's a book I read a couple years ago. It's by a guy named Jefferson Bethke. And he wrote a book called To Hell with the Hustle. And this book talks a lot about resisting the pace of the world resisting what our flesh is trying to tell us to do and walking with the pace of Jesus and walking and doing life with Jesus. And, and in a part of the book, he talks about love. God is love. God's mission was love. We're called to love. And he asks the question, well, what's the opposite of love? And traditionally, we think the opposite of love would be hate, yeah. But he makes the argument that the opposite of love isn't hate, it's fear. And it often manifests itself as hate. And so he goes on to quote, fear is frantic. Fear goes at a speed love does not. Fear is fast, fear is distracted. But love goes about three miles an hour. Seriously, three miles an hour is the average speed of someone who is walking purposefully yet gracefully. You have to go at a pace that can be interrupted, that can be responsive to the moment in front of you. Because you can't love someone when you're hustling. But when you say no to the hustle, you can be stopped. You can step into the holy moment of grace. Jesus did it. 
And so I want to follow that up with a story of a friend. So if you've ever read the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, so a quick synopsis, the story of the Good Samaritan, what we find is there's this guy walking along the road, he gets mugged, he gets beaten, he gets robbed, and he gets thrown in a ditch, basically left for dead. And there's a religious guy that walks by, a priest, and he sees him, and he just walks to the other side of the road. So he thinks he's got better things to do. He's got places to be. And there's another religious guy, a Levite, sees the same guy, does the same thing, walks right by him. So I have more better religious things to do than to worry about him. Then we see this, this good Samaritan come in, hops down off his horse, takes his time loving on this guy, mending him back to health, taking care of him. And so this story is a lot like that one, and I really hope my friend never sees this because he is not the good example. He is one of the bad examples. And so the story goes, my friend was on his way to church. He was, he was an associate pastor at the time of the church I was going to back home. So he wasn't the lead pastor. He wasn't speaking on that Sunday. But he felt the need to hurry up and get there on time. He was running late. And just to save face, he's got, I got to be on time to church. So he's driving on his way to church. And on the side of the road, he sees somebody that needs help. And I'm not saying that we should always stop for every single person on the side of the road. But he said that he felt that he could, he could help that person in a real way, tangibly. He saw what was wrong. He's like, I, I could definitely stop and help him. But he's like, no, I shook that off. I, I'm going to be late to church. I got to hurry up and get there. And so he whips into the parking spot, gets to church right in the nick of time. And when he starts to walk in the building, he said that he felt God impress on him. You just missed church. It was right there waiting for you. I had a soul waiting for you. I had someone that needed to be loved waiting for you. I was there. There was a holy moment of grace that could have been stepped into. But oftentimes we just get caught up in trying to check the boxes and get to the next place and rush around that we miss what Jesus has for us right here, right now. And I think when we can just slow down and we allow ourselves to be in tune with the Spirit, and how God wants us to respond, that's when miracles happen. That's when lives change. Maybe ours, but maybe more importantly, somebody else's. And so I want to close and bring us back to just an overview. When I take time to set my pursuit and my pace with walking with the Spirit, and what Jesus asked of me, what the Spirit asked of me, which is contrary to the flesh, I realize that God always gives us opportunities to step out in love and to be obedient. Not in a burdensome way, but in a purposeful way. But oftentimes I miss it because I'm too busy or I'm too stressed or I'm rushing around and I'm thinking about myself and I'm being selfish that I miss these opportunities. But when I walk with the Spirit and by His power and at His pace, a veil gets lifted over my eyes. It gets taken away because my flesh in the world is putting a veil and a lens over my eyes that lets me see the entire world in a vantage point of me and how I can get ahead and how I can find comfort, and how I can find success. But when I'm filled with the Spirit, and when I'm in step with Him, my lens changes, that veil gets taken away, and now the lens is seeing others. And now I'm in tune with the needs of people around me. And now I have the power to love somebody. And I realize that those, those, those opportunities and the needs, they were always there. What wasn't there was my awareness. That's what left me. And what filled it was my selfish ambition. And so I'm looking after number one, me, myself, and I. Because that's what the world says. That's what my flesh says. But I don't find contentment in that. I don't find true joy in that. It's fleeting. It's temporary. Jesus wants life and life abundant for us. And it's not focusing on ourselves. 
It's focusing on others. And so if we look at an analogy of an empty lantern, that is every single one of us. I have so much potential to bring light to the world. I am literally made for it. But when my lantern is empty, when I'm trying to do life on my own power and my own pace and my own speed, all I am is an empty lantern. I can bring it into any dark room I want. I can run up ahead anytime I want, but I can't see and I'm not doing what I was made to do. I have no power. But the Holy Spirit is the flame in that lantern. And now I have the power to do what I was called to do. And when I walk into a room, I bring light, not because of who I am, but because of who's inside of me working. And what we also notice with a lantern is when I walk into a room, a dark room, and I hold up a lantern in there, the focus is not on the lantern. The focus is on everything it brings light to. When I come inside and I bring this lantern full of fire and I walk in, no one stares at the lantern. No, it's dark. I want to see what's around. And when I can walk into moments, the holy moments of grace that Jesus has for us with the power of the Spirit, and my lantern is full of fire, it now brings and sheds light to every single other person in that room. And now their empty lantern has a chance to get lit. And they can have the power of the Holy Spirit. And so maybe you're in here today and you resonate with, with the pursuit and with the pace and you feel like you're tired, you're burdened, you've been chasing after things that your flesh wanted and what the world told you that you should be chasing after and the world told you that you should have more of and that you should have less of. And you feel that you haven't even been available to hear from God. We've got to be able to have time in our schedules to have intentional, undistracted time with our Father in Heaven. And when we do that, we're able to be filled with His Spirit. And I want to invite you back into that. God invites you back into His rest and His peace and His pace and His pursuit. He invites you back into that every single day. His mercies are new every single day. You have never been too far. You have never done too much. You've never done too much bad to where the next day you can't wake up and walk by His Spirit and be in step with Him. Because God is as close as your next breath. And when we find ourselves chasing after the world and being distracted by those things, we will continually and always feel off because we weren't made for that. We were not made to see how comfortable and how content and how successful we could be in this life. We were made for the next life. And so when I focus on myself, I'm focusing on this life. But when I focus on others, I'm living for the next life and I'm trying to bring other people with me through the power of the Spirit. And when I start to do that, I realize that God is all I ever needed. I am completely and totally fulfilled in Him and Him alone. The world and my flesh have nothing to offer me. They hold no power over me. They cannot offer me anything that is more lasting than what God offers me. And we can receive that at any moment, in this moment. And we live one day to hear the sweetest words that have ever been said to anybody. When we get to go up to heaven and we see God face to face and He looks at us in the eyes and He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we spend eternity with Him in paradise. God's not going to say, well accomplished, my busy and hurried and selfish servant. No, He's not going to say that. Because that's not what matters to Him. We're living this life for the next. And we can find fulfillment, true success. Walking by the Spirit will get us far greater success, true success, eternal success, 
than running with our flesh and by the world ever could. And so I want to pray for us. We're going to have people up front that would love to pray with you. If you feel that, you know, my, my pursuit, my pace does not line up with walking with the Spirit. God wants you to walk with Him. He's offering you to walk with Him. A humble, beautiful, quiet waters of Shaloa to turn away from the mighty flood waters of the Euphrates. He's inviting you into that. We would love to pray with you, to pray over you for that. And if you feel the Spirit's talking to you this morning, answer that. Open the door. God has so much more for you in this life than what the world is offering, than what the flesh offers. So if you guys will bow your heads with me, I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your faithfulness, for your goodness. I pray that this morning we can take a step back. We can smell the roses. We can remember your goodness. We can remember your faithfulness. We can remember your promises that we know to be true. We can turn back to a relationship with you. We can slow down and walk at your pace, not get ahead of you, not chase after what our flesh wants, but what you want for us because it is so much greater, so much better. It is full of life and it is full of purpose. God, I pray your spirit stirs in every single one of us today. I pray that you bring us closer to you so that we can hear your whisper, we can hear your voice, we can be guided by you. And we thank you for being the God of second chances. You are never far from us. Your arms are always open to us. So I pray that as we sing one last song, that we can just submit our lives a little bit more to God. We can yield a little bit more to the Spirit in our lives. And we can feel your goodness. We feel the anxiousness being washed off of us. We can put the burdens and lay them at your feet that the world has been telling us to carry that you said we were never meant to carry. Thank you for being such a good God, a good Father. Your Spirit sticks closer than a brother. We praise you, we honor you, and we love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.